Over the past few weeks, we've been discussing the whole subject of apologetics as it's used in discipleship, evangelism, and why it is necessary. But what I want to do today on the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg is actually talk about the whole question of whether or not apologetics is actually biblical. So let's get real on the question on is defending the faith biblical? Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lumber. Thank you for tuning in this week. I want to let you know that uh, it's been a full couple weeks. Last week ago, Friday, actually I had a radio interview, something I haven't done since upstate New York days, on the, the necessity of apologetics. Of course, it fell right in line with what we've been talking and sharing with you over the last couple weeks as far as the necessity of apologetics, what apologetics is, and all that good stuff. Then uh, yesterday... I was involved in a uh, roundtable forum with a few friends of mine. We were talking about methodologies where I represented the classical approach to apologetics, or the classical methodology, if you will, toward apologetics. So what I want to do today is basically, I think, wrap up the subject for at least a little while anyway, since we are an apologetic podcast. I wanted to basically share with you what apologetics was all about before we start getting below the surface on some of the issues that are going on today in our culture. And of course, you know, with the election and everything happening uh, over the last week or so, and a lot of turmoil that's going on, I really believe that it's important for believers to be able to give a reason for why, that they need to give a reason why Christianity is true, why they believe what they believe. You know, when difficult times come and everything that's going to possibly be happening, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but I will tell you that with regards to the the winner, depending on the winner, and of course I don't think it'll be much different except the fact that if the incumbent is in uh, the White House, we will have at least a little bit more of a respite in that we will uh, be able to share our faith and be able to have some religious freedom because this administration has been the most pro-life, most pro-religious freedom administration probably in the history since Ronald Reagan anyways. Uh, when I remember uh, Mr. Uh, president Reagan, um, when you know he was president, we had some uh, very much what we have today with the current president in, in the White House, at least uh, for now. But when that, if there ever is an administration change, I'm sure things are going to get challenging. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, just give me the just give me Jesus and just give me the Bible approach might work only for so long until the pressure really starts getting turned up. I believe the church is much like the frog in the kettle, where uh, Barna, I believe it was, or I don't know if it was Tim Keller or George Barna had the frog in the kettle illustration. How do you boil a frog? And you boil a frog basically by going and putting it in cold water and then turning up the heat to where the frog boils and doesn't even feel the, the rapid temperature change from being, say, outside of the boiling water, inside the boiling water, but that water slowly boils the thermostat of the frog, I guess you could say. 
adjust to the water as it's getting hotter. So as eventually what happens is that frog eventually dies and doesn't even know that it's dying. And I think that's a lot like uh, American religion today. I won't say it's the evangelical church because Jesus did say, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And they also said that the scriptures cannot be broken. I believe those statements to be true. But what I'm talking about here is that the faith of the individual believer going through those difficult times. I disciple my family with uh, the apologetic mindset, if you will, the fact that we live the life we defend. We, dis we have the apologetics as discipleship in our family, and we desire that for the church. So what I want to do today, folks, is I want to deal with the question, is defending the faith biblical? You know, it's football season, and every one of us has our favorite football team. I'm not much into professional sports because of all the things that are going on, the politicizing and everything. But I do like watching the highlights. And of course, you know, there are some favorite highlights that I want to watch. And re recently it's been the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because of the fact, well, Tom Brady was in Foxborough and I'm originally from Massachusetts and being a Patriots fan. But uh, I, I hate to say it, uh, even though I am a fan of New England sports, I'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, on the fence with the Patriots with the way things are going in New England as far as uh, with the other things other than what's on the field. So everybody can basically give a defense as to why they believe their team. I'm sure if as you're listening to me share with you my favorite teams, at least are the teams that I follow, you probably go and say, I hate those teams. Why do you hate those teams? Why do you think that your team is better than my team? And of course, every one of us has an apologetic approach to why we believe our teams are better, why I believe New England sports team, why, why I believe New England is the city of champions when it comes to professional sports championships. But we are so good at defending our teams, but if we're Christians, we're not so good at defending our faith. So the question is, is defending the faith Biblical, and I want to tell you that it is. And I'm going to give you four reasons why I believe this is so in the next 23 plus minutes or so. Now, I will tell you that one of the biggest concerns I have for the Christian church is the fact that where we are right now, I believe the church is actually behind the eight ball when it comes to engaging the culture. Being one who is in the culture, I'm seeing a very dangerous thing happening when it comes to the churches being lulled to apathy when it comes to defending the faith. You know, as I mentioned, people spend most of their time in the secular city on their jobs at the coffee shops and other venues while being inundated with the static of the culture, the music, the media, the, the setting and other venues are becoming more and more secularized. And then you take into consideration that the universities and colleges today are basically the mechanisms for pumping the ideology into the culture. And what we're seeing today is along the lines of cultural Marxism, which is coming into the culture. 
Now, it has been said, and it is pretty a strong fact, that the influence of a professor pontificating from the professorial lectern has an influence on their students towards the culture for the next 30 years. And I don't know whether or not you're asleep at the wheel or whether you're seeing the things I'm seeing, but it seems like whatever's coming out of the universities over the last 10, 20, 30 years is actually showing that to be true. Now, it will be those coming out of the universities and the colleges that will be the shapers and thinkers of the next generation in our culture. And I only wish pastors would get a grip on some of these facts and studies showing the vast tectonic shifts of the ideologies of culture, which make sharing the gospel more and more challenging for today's evangelists. Now, I will tell you that if you think that you're sharing your faith without engaging in apologetics in a post-truth culture, you're not doing evangelism. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have the, the old style of evangelism, a track sharing, or the four spiritual laws. If you haven't gone and engaged a person in a conversation while trying to share those folks, and instead you're dragging, a, dragging the person to the foot of the cross and 15 minutes or less so you can get at the next person. You are not doing evangelism. Yes, I've said it. Now, yet, I still get the objection that apologetics and doing apologetics is not biblical. So, if you're a pastor who gets it, God bless you. But it's time to get started. If you're a pastor who was wondering more on, on apologetics and wondering what it's all about, or if you're a pastor who is stuck on the whole idea that all you need is Jesus and the Bible, then this show today is for you. Because I want to let you know that apologetics is biblical, and the very fact that what we are seeing in our culture is very, very sobering. And so with these sobering thoughts in mind, allow me to share with you four thoughts that show you how apologetics is biblical. Number one, that apologetics is commanded by God. That's right. Scripture commands that we give a defense of the faith. This is the most important reason because God commands us to use our reasoning in the defense of the faith. We find all throughout the New Testament exhortations to defend the faith. But before I do that, understand that the very first verse of the Bible, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God, Moses uses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word Elohim, which is a plural noun, and then also he uses a third-person singular verb, which goes and gives us an idea that maybe the God that Moses is talking about is disclosing himself as triunes, particularly when he deals with the, the whole issue where he dialogues with the rest of the Godhead and not, not the angels when he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. But apologetics is biblical, and it's all throughout the New Testament. And first, we get the word apologetics from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where it says, But sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, an apologia, 
or give an answer back to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect or reverence or fear. This passage tells us several things. First, it tells us that we should be ready. If you are doing the first part of setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart, living out the Christian life on a daily basis, I want you to know that people are reading you right now as the fifth gospel. That's right, fifth gospel. You know, there are many people out there who will not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they will be reading you if they know that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they see you living it out, you should be taking into consideration that we need to always be ready. People are eventually going to ask you, what is so different about you? Why don't you talk about the things that other people do? Why don't you get involved in the dirty jokes? Why do you not go to the bars? Why do you not, why do you not, why do you not? And you're going to go and you're going to be able to give a reasonable defense, hopefully, as to why you don't do, say, or act in such a way. Now, it is no longer just enough to live out our Christian life in the world thinking that it's going to suffice. We also need to gird our minds for being ready to give a reason or give reasons why we believe what we believe to be true. That's right. We need to be ready to give an answer or be ready to give reasons why we believe what we believe to be true. Now, being ready in your life will also encourage you to be ready in your preparation as an apologist. Now, you know, you, every one of us, we are involved in apologetics, whether we like it or not, or whether we realize it or not. The question is, everybody does it. The question is whether or not we do it well or want to do it well. Now, there are really some great resources out there that you can pick up and study from. But it's not just having the information. Folks, Peter tells us that it's also about our attitude. There's a lot of attitude issues in, in the apologetics community. Let me say that right out front, which seems to be a sense of overconfidence or cockiness. And I, I, it breaks my heart to see that, having been an involved in apologetics for over 34 years. And I want to let you know that our ministry seeks to find ways to identify with people by asking questions, so even even with people who are asking the questions, where they are, and possibly what they are going through. Now, what we are doing is we realize, first and foremost, that there is a, behind every question, is a questioner. So what we seek to do in our ministry, as part of this gentleness and respect aspect, is we separate the question from the questioner. Having an attitude of readiness with this in mind will create a low level of eagerness and confidence. Figure it this way. We have the truth. People are sinking the truth. So what we need to do is respect the questioner as somebody who's created the image and likeness of God, dismantle the question and get the person to see what is in their heart. Now, the second thing we need to understand about this is when we give a reason to those asking the questions, like, for example, we, we see in Colossians uh, 4, verses 5 and 6, 
we should not expect that every conversation is going to turn out into an opportunity for evangelism. Now, keep in the back of your mind that the one challenging what you believe does need the gospel, but we must first be willing to be able to answer the answer first any objection that they have, and then leave the results to the Lord on what happens next. I see many Christians today heralding Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer. But our culture today is going and answering that back by going and saying, if you say Jesus is the answer, what is the question? We don't know what the questions are unless we get to the heart of the matter. Now, thirdly and finally in this first part, that doing pre-evangelism, making Christ Lord in our hearts, are unified together. And if Jesus is really Lord, then we should be obedient to his word when it says that we are destroying speculations and every lofty, lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. In other words, we should be confronting the issues of our day in our own minds and in expressed thoughts of others that are preventing them from knowing who God is and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, that is what the defense of the faith, apologetics, is all about. And of course, you know, we've, we've dealt with 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but let me give you a few more here real quick before I get to the second part. Over in Philippians 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul speaks of his mission of defending and confirming the gospel. And then he adds in verse 16 of that same chapter, he says, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And with all the false ideologies that permeate the religious landscape today, we are put where we are to defend the faith as well. And of course, there's Jude verse 3, uh, which says, Beloved, while making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, once for all given over to the saints. See, Jude was talking about going and writing about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he goes and changes his whole idea with regards to contending earnestly for the faith. The people Jude was writing to um, had been assaulted by false teachers, and he had need of encouraging them to protect, literally agonize for the faith as it had been revealed through Jesus Christ. Jude makes a significant statement about our attitude as we have been revealed as as had been revealed in Christ he he makes a significant statement about our attitude as we do in in this verse 22 when he says have mercy on some who are doubting apologetics then has plenty of warrant for expressing compassion it is not just having a passion to defend the faith it is a passion to reach people you are dialoguing with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then of course Titus verse 1 uh, chapter 1, verse 9, makes the knowledge of the Christian evidence is a requirement for church leadership. So, pastor, if you are listening to me, t Titus is a pastoral epistle. And if it's a pastoral epistle, and it's talking about being in leadership, and leadership having a, a requirement to have the knowledges of Christian evidence, you should be listening to us very, very careful. An elder in the church should be holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, Paul says, that he may be able to both exhort 
and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. With relativism today and forms of religious pluralization and culture, people change churches and sometimes bring with them teachings that may not be biblical. That being said, this is one of the many reasons, along with the elder body equipping people to do the same, is where apologetics is important in the practical sense of the local church. And of course, that we have 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, where Paul declares, Lord's bondservant should not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, able to be patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them the repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Anyone attempting to answer questions of unbelievers or correcting any wayward teaching in, in the church will surely be wronged and, te- and be tempted to lose patience. But our ultimate goal is they may come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus has died for their sins. Let me move to the second one. Of course, we've gone and basically hammered on the fact that Scripture commands that you and I defend the faith. But secondly, reason demands apologetics. Folks, God created us with minds to operate within the realm of human reason. The intellect and the capacity to reason things out is part of God's image in us. We see this in the image of God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. But indeed, it is that by which you and I are distinguished from brute beasts. God calls us to use our reason when he says in Isaiah 1:18, "Come, let us reason together," says the Lord, to discern truth from error and right from wrong. The fundamental principle of reason is that you and I should have sufficient grounds for what we believe. Unjustified belief is just that. It is unjustified. You know, Socrates once said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. The unexamined belief, folks, is a belief not worth believing. Folks, you have to understand what you believe, and then you have to ask yourself, why do you believe what you do believe? So the question of why do we believe what we believe has never, ever, with our culture going sideways the way that it is, it's never been more important. Therefore, it is incumbent upon Christians today to be able to give a reason for their hope. And this is part of the great commandment to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. We shouldn't be checking our minds at the door with our coats when we come into church. But God and reason demand that we engage in apologetics. And because God and reason demand it, we see that we cannot keep the Christian faith in our humble obedience and the truthfulness of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Folks, we can't keep that to ourselves. And there's a third element as to why we need to understand that defending the faith is biblical. And that is because the world needs us to engage in the apologetic task. Of course, our culture today grows more and more skeptical in many areas than as it does. There will be many people who 
may not have the intention of believing what you and I believe. I've run into them. I've talked to them. And of course, uh, the only goal you can do is pray for them and put a stone in their shoe and get them to think on something that they might not have thought before. But that said, many people do refuse to believe without some evidence, as indeed they should. Why say indeed they should? Why do I say that? Because we should not be forcing someone to believe something if they're not willing to investigate it for themselves. Just because you or I say something that is true does not mean that what we are sharing is really true unless we can defend it and back it up. We tell the atheists that brute fact argumentation is not going to deconvert a Christian with a response. Why should we try to do the same thing and tell a, tell a happy pagan that believing the Christian faith will help them unless they're willing? Folks, you know, you've heard the this, this, this statement, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I say, you can, you can lead an atheist or a skeptic or a happy pagan to the truth, but you cannot force them to think. God has created us as rational beings. He does not expect us to live irrationally. He wants us to look before we leap. This does not mean that there's no room for faith. Christianity is not a blind leap of faith into the dark, but a step of faith into the light, and a light to the light of evidence. He does not want us to leap in the dark, but he wants us to run in his light. That being said, no person is going to get into an elevator unless he has some reason to believe it will hold him up take him to the floor that he needs. Likewise, no reasonable person gets on an airplane that is a broken wing and smoke coming out of the tail end. Belief that is prior to belief in. And our faith is as only as good as the one in whom it is placed. So thankfully, there is evidence to dovetail with faith. Therefore, evidence and reason are important to establish the belief that. And once this is established, then one can place his faith in that which is the ev which points to the evidence. Let me move to the last one. We're getting close to the end of our show today. So we talked about the fact that God commands it, reason demands it, and the world is crying out for it. But, you know, you might be thinking, you know, there's no results as to why apologetics is biblical. You know, there's no results. You know, you can't argue somebody into the kingdom. That's true. I mean, we cannot argue. I have a friend of mine who embraces cumulative, the cumulative case methodology. We have good fellowship conversations about this all the time. We both agree that God uses evidence and the Holy Spirit works through evidence. So this is what I'm getting at here because the fact that there are results that are produced while engaging in the apologetic task is a common misnomer among many Christians. It is often said that apologetics never helps bring anyone to Christ. This is a serious misrepresentation of the facts. If you take, for example, uh, uh, one of the early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, is one example. There were several significant rational turning points in Augustine's life before he came to faith in Christ.
First, he reasoned out of the problem with one of the heresies of the Manichaean dualism. And also, one significant turning point here was the success of a young Christian debater of the Manichaeans called Helpetius. You can read about that in his Confessions. But secondly, with reference to Augustine, is that Augustine reasoned his way out of total skepticism by seeing the self-defeating nature of it. And you could see, read about this in his Against the Academics. And of course, we have men like Lee Strobel, uh, Josh McDowell, uh, and also uh, other atheists who have come to faith in Christ and become followers of him. And you're listening to one right here back in 1980. I was a teenage skeptic, not much like what you have with uh, the pop atheists today, but I will tell you that somebody challenged me to look at the evidence of Christianity. And I, little did I realize at the time that I was engaging in pre-evangelism apologetics and trying to debunk Christianity only to follow the evidence and then go to a Baptist church in Brockton, Massachusetts, where Johnny Hall, who was touring with the Billy Graham crusade that, that, that week. And he came to this church to have a gospel concert and he shared the gospel. And that night, God gloriously through the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin and his drawing and loving me and wooing me, he drew me to faith. And then after that, I wanted to know why Christianity was true. So I got involved in this glorious wonderful discipline of defending the faith because when I was a skeptic, I was asking people questions. And folks, you might have a friend that's asking questions and they might be told, you should not be asking questions. You should just believe. Folks, that's doing them a disservice. You should not uh, ask questions, just have faith. Folks, that's wrongheaded. People have questions today. 30% of the people sitting in pews today are asking whether or not the pastor preaching the message on that Sunday morning actually believes what he believes about what he's preaching and why he believes it. And not only that, we have 70 to 80% of the kids coming out of Christian homes, walking away from their faith, and a lot of them are homeschoolers. Folks, our culture is in a lot of trouble. God commands it. Reason demands it. The world cries is crying for it. And folks, there is plenty of warrant of evidence that apologetics is used by the Holy Spirit as part of our evangelism. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Last week, we really didn't know what we were going to do. Next week, we are going to just watch the week and see how it goes. We may talk about something along the lines of what faith is all about because there's a lot of people out there walking in blind faith. So we may talk about that. We may find another subject. But as you go out this week, and of course, you know, our world is going sideways. Uh, my family and I have made the decision to hold off on any decision until inauguration or re-inauguration day in January. A lot of things could happen with regards to the election. Please stay away from the media. Don't listen to the American media. It's not trustworthy. Please stay away from any of the fake news, any of the major networks. And of course, in the 2000 election, we know that Al Gore was declaring himself uh, vice pre uh, president-elect, and we know what happened in that. And of course, we know the current candidates on the Democratic side 
are doing somewhat the same thing. All we need to do as Christians is to get close to Jesus, stay in the Word, keep our nose in the Word, find out uh, some good apologetics resources to bolster your faith, and be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. So as you go out this week, as you go to work, if you're able to go to work or if you're at the coffee shop and you have a t-shirt on, if you're in warm weather, or if you are reading a book or reading your Bible, somebody may come up to you and say, why do you believe that book? Your goal is to give the best reasons that you have and to be able to go to the resources that you can have to give a stronger answer. But as we go out, we need to understand that apologetics is the new evangelism. Apologetics is the new discipleship. And as we do it, let us all go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. Mm-hmm.